thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And welcome, because guess what? It's all about me! (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering how you were going to introduce that. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know until just then. (laughs) And it is all about Karen today. Mm -hmm. It is. I know. I get so excited because I just so, like, totes love talking about myself. I really do. Who doesn't, actually? Well, this is my point. You Mm. see, I only listen to you because I know it's my turn next. (laughs) She's already thinking about the next thing to say. But, you know, there are some people... She's lost it. But, you know, there are some people that I just could listen to them all day long mm. and I don't want to interrupt them. Mm. Oh, yeah, I yeah. agree. And you're one, Karen. Well, mm. no, I was going to say, you girls are those two people yeah. for me. Yeah. No, seriously. Although I, I do like, interrupt a lot, I, just like I do I listened for five Wouldn't days be. to you. Just a couple of years ago, I came to one of her class courses, and it was five days long, and I listened to you for five days, and I was on such a high when I left, so... Beyond the tears. Yeah. And oh, yeah, that's right. But You I... did do that to me, didn't you? I did. Oh, yeah. <gasps> she put me into a heaving state. That's her job. Yeah, boy. It's... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's... I think you do something quite extraordinary, though, when you're on stage. You seem to download or bring something to that stage that I don't even think you kind of really know what's happening sometimes. No, that's true. That's true. When I am um, speaking on stage, I, I have this little ritual, and you'd be very proud of me, Kimberly. Um, I do have a little ritual. Most people who know me know I wear very big rings, and I take after my dad. My dad's got these gorgeous, big, manly hands, huge, big, thick fingers, which I was terrified of when I was a child because I used to get the hiding of my life. Brett. <laughs> Brett. She was a Brett. I was. <laughs> Um, but he loves these big, beautiful rings, and I'm exactly the same. And um, I wear the big rings to remind me of my presence and who I am while I'm on stage, not for myself but for others. And so that's the beginning of my ritual is to make sure that I've got a ring that feels significant to me for that particular event or presentation. And then I also have a little prayer, if you like, that I say that is very poignant for me in that I ask to... Um, be the conduit for whatever message is necessary for the audience in front of me on that day. And then I am also a spiritual person and I do believe in God. I am not religious by any stretch of the imagination, but my my prayer is um, let me get out of the way so that in place of me, the audience might meet you. And Oh, that's so cool. And, and in that, may the audience see themselves. So... Um, you know, my, my whole... Steal that? Yeah, I think we should steal that. <laughs> really. I I'm, I really mm. like that because mm. sometimes I get on um, a stage and I think, see, it's all about me now, Karen. Look back to you because, <laughs> because shortly I shall interrupt you. I know, just like I, I did just I know, then. I know, I know. <laughs> but I just, I get on the stage and I'm a little, I'm really nervous and I think, and, and my thoughts are, 
is this what the audience wants? Um, mm. Am I going to be delivering the right things to them? Am I just delivering what I think they need? But I think, what, and you know what, it always changes. Even yeah. though I have designed that I'm going to talk about this, this, this and this, it always changes. Mm. And I always wonder, well, maybe it's not about me delivering, it's about, like what you said, being the conduit to deliver what they are asking for. Because in the audience, they, they must be sending out an energy Mm. that tells you, you know, and you are so articulate when you speak. I, like, I fumble, um, and I do, you know, I do, I do fumble at times, and, and I listen to you, and your articulation is, yeah, spot on. If no, if you've never, ever heard Karen live, you have to come to Awaken the Change Within in November, and listen to Karen live. She's like we just follow her lead, don't we, Kim? Oh, that's, well, we do quite a lot. Of <laughs> I can't see that. I actually think we do quite a lot of prep. We yeah, do quite we a lot do. of the the timeline, and we do quite a lot of the. Um, <laughs> I had to white noise here. <laughs> um, but but Karen tonight is about you, and yeah. I think what I, I know we've told the story of Bali. We know we know what you've been through. You might I, I think if you could just give a very brief account of that, because I think for some of our new listeners, they might not have heard that. Just a little bit of your story, and I think what would be really neat to get from you tonight is how you came to being where you are now. How on earth did that life go from who you were in maybe a young girl to being a corporate woman in Sydney to being who you are now would actually be an incredible insight into the Karen Smith that perhaps a lot of us don't know about? Well, you know, Kim and I have watched you grow and watched you morph. It's almost like a morphing that you do. And you, and I, and I, you, you come up with an idea and then it just happens. It may take you, sometimes it takes you a month and other times it may take you a year. And then with the latest project that we are really going to be talking about, three years it's taken you to get there. But, you know, we watched the preview to that the other night and we were just so excited by it. So, yeah, let's, um, it's, all, it's all up to you now, Karen. Yeah. We're just going to go have a little snooze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We wouldn't dare because I always pick up another pearler. Always. Oh, wow. And I You're so kind. S- Gosh. And I learn something more about you each time you mm. you tell us something about your business and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And she has kept this all a secret from us, so this is all new to us anyway. <laughs> well, I did actually. Mm. I did keep this latest little thingy a secret because I wanted it to be a surprise. <laughs> um, okay, so... If I'm to look at my my life growing up, I had, you know, um, I'm the youngest of three and my dad was very entrepreneurial and my mum is incredibly supportive and still to this day, you know, they haven't changed, their roles in my life haven't changed at all. So my mum always said that I could do anything. She always said that I was incredibly observant. She would always boost me and tell me how wonderful I was and how beautiful I was and I always felt like I was perfect in my mum's eyes. And um, she's, you know, she's always been an incredible encouragement. And my dad always set an example of what was possible. Um, My mum was always at home with us as kids. And then my dad has set the example of what was possible in terms of business. So he was always very entrepreneurial, always able to pull a rabbit out of his hat. I always thought we were loaded, stinking, filthy, rich. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. I I still to this day have no idea of what the reality was, but my mum was always at home 
and we were, I grew up, uh, my first seven years were in South Africa and then we came to Australia and I do remember that we actually had to get rid of, we couldn't bring, sorry, didn't have to get rid of, we couldn't bring a lot of our wealth from South Africa to Australia. It was against the law. So we were only able to bring 10,000 Australian, uh, 10,000 South African rand out to Australia back then in 1977. And from that, my dad Mum bought us, you know, we bought a house and cars and all of that sort of stuff. And my mum had to sell her 1.3 commercial white diamond. Um, and out of the funds that she raised from that, they bought an investment property and, you know, started to get themselves set up. And then, um, so it was always, it was always very, uh, when it came to money or when it came to the family feeling whole and successful, there was always a rabbit coming out of the hat somewhere. There was always a creative conversation happening. And even though I didn't understand it, I must have at some point. As I grew up, my sister is four years older than me. So she went out and um, started working in sales because my dad encouraged all of us to be in sales purely because that was his environment. That was his realm. So he encouraged all of us to be in sales. My sister went out. She did brilliantly, worked her way up the corporate ladder. But by the time she was about 24, 25, she decided she'd had a gut full of working for other people and decided to go out on her own. Um, the, there's a business that's the advertising on the back of shopping dockets. And my sister and her husband at the time created um, Australia's largest business with the advertising on the back of shopping dockets. And they ran that for about 18 years. Um, and with wow. this, yeah, yeah, there was a smaller, there was a smaller business, um, in the market as well as my sister and her husband's business. Most people know the smaller business, the, the name of it, but my sister's business, um, they dwarfed that smaller business, dwarfed them like a hundred times over. Mm. And, um, I guess being the youngest, and my brother was also very entrepreneurial, he started off in sales and didn't take him long to have a gut full of working for other people and he went out on his own. Um, and he has a very successful clothing business, very successful industrial clothing line and embroidery, him and his wife. Amazing. Built from nothing to just a huge, like an empire almost. And, of course, here I am working 16 hours a day for somebody else on $100,000 a year in Sydney um, with no sense of self. There was no, I never felt like I was actually getting anywhere. Climbing the corporate ladder, yes, I had an amazing job. I was the general manager for the world's biggest recruitment company. I had 365 staff, but I was working 16 hours a day, six and a half days a week, and they owned me. Mm. Um, and the laptop and car just wasn't worth it. Mm. It just, you know, it just wasn't worth it. So I tried going out on my own with my sister's support, but my sister always said to me she would never lend me money. And she would also never encourage me to lend money. And she said, never spend a dollar of my own money in starting a business. So so was that in recruitment? That was in recruitment. Oh. I started my own recruitment company, but I was recruiting for recruiters. Because mm -hmm. I'd been in the recruitment industry for 12 years and worked my way up. And then I thought, well, recruit finding really good recruiters is a really hard job because I'd been trying to do it for 12 years to find my own staff and team. So I decided to start recruiting for recruiters. There was one other woman in Sydney who did that, and she was very successful. So I started up my little business called Vision Recruitment, mm -hmm. created my logos and was very excited about it and started interviewing. How old were you? Uh, wow. Um, 25, 26, somewhere around there. Yeah, and I lasted, I think, for about nine months, and I couldn't hack the pressure. 
I couldn't hack the pressure of it. And I didn't really have a great deal of expenses then that I had to look out for, but it was too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't believe in myself at all. So I threw it all away, went back and got another job in recruitment and just continued climbing the corporate ladder until, um, well, Greg and I, uh, I'm just trying to think, Greg and I bought our house together in 1998, so I was 28, and then... Yeah, so that's when I really ramped up the hours and really ramped up how long I was working to try and build up a a bigger salary base for myself because our expenses went through the roof. And then I got promoted and got a couple of different jobs, and that was all very cool, still in the recruitment industry. And then, as we know, um, things changed for me on a personal level with Greg. So Greg took his life in 2000 and um, on the 14th of October 2001, now, when that happened, I just I couldn't go back to work. I just couldn't. I couldn't go back to work. And unfortunately, the company that I was working for really didn't handle me well at all. Um, and it really, it really threw a spanner in the works for me in terms of how I saw myself and how I saw myself in corporate because I needed to work. There's no question about mm. it. I had to work, but mentally I couldn't. I was a mess and nobody would have wanted me anyway, you know. So I resigned from my role as general manager in Sydney um, and again, that was that, that in and of itself was just nasty, the way that that whole thing played out. Um, but it really forced me to have a good look at what I was doing and all the effort that I was putting in to working for somebody else and all the hours that I was working and being feeling like I was being owned, like there wasn't an hour that was my own. And I felt when I needed support the most, it wasn't there. And I really had to, I really questioned that. That really sort of made me look twice at it all. Um, So I never, I didn't go back to work in that 12-month period. I went on the dole because I actually couldn't work. And I felt sick that I was on the dole. I felt dreadful that I was doing that. But I actually, I couldn't. I couldn't hold a conversation with anybody. I was in the depths of despair. I was in the most immense grief, guilt and responsibility. I was was just a mess. I I was just a basket case. And then it wasn't actually 12 months, I lied, it was 10 months that I didn't work for. And then at the end of the 10 months, I started to beat myself up and tell myself I'd better get back to work. So I was fortunate enough to be taken on by a really amazing recruitment company, which is now, after a number of name changes, there were select appointments, but now they're Randstad. Um, And they were brilliant. They took me back on, was with them for two months and went to Bali. For the ten year, for the one year anniversary of Greg's death, but I think I was just, I was just buying time. I was just buying time. I had no intention of really being around, and going to Bali was the intended end for me in my mind. Why um, did you choose Bali? I chose Bali because it was cheap for me to get to, and it was quick for me to get there. And I knew that if my family wanted to collect my body or if they wanted to get the suicide note, that it would be easy for them to get it from there. I didn't know that, actually, because I'd never been to Bali before, but that was my assumption. Yeah. Yeah, I had, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's sad to look back on that because I almost look, I, I know that that was me, but I look at that like that was another person. It's hard to um, be in the skin that I'm in now and um, really 
No, it's actually not hard. I'm getting there quite easily right now. Mm. <laughs> not but really, you, you aren't the same person. No, I'm You're a different a version. You're a completely different version of who you are. You had to recreate mm. yourself now to, from what you were. And, and that's what most people don't realise is that if they want to be where you are right now and they're in the space where you were, they have to do a whole new recreation of themselves. Mm. Because I, I'm seeing more and more people like what you were, Karen where they're on multiple amounts of anxiety and antidepressants and and life's too hard and they'd rather be not here, mm-hmm. you know? Well, look at, we've had, we, it just seems to be happening too much and two women that, to me, have got it all, that you think have it all, I should say, but we don't know what's going on in their heads. So you are a different person. You cannot be the same person. I think there's a cellular memory of things that happen to us or within us. So you just saying then that I'm, I'm actually there again now, mm. I think that's in all of us. And to deny that would be foolish, I mm. think. Mm. Um, but I think the extraordinary thing I've learnt and watched in you is you don't stay there for long and you have found a way to articulate yourself out of that. Um, and I think where I feel sorry for people or for those of us that might have taken a bit longer to do that is those that don't know you or haven't met you, you give a fast track way on how to acknowledge, accept, almost embrace and then recreate. And I think wow. that's an incredible gift that you have given us. Mm. Um, and I'm sure the listeners would agree incredibly mm. just what you've given to this the last 70-odd podcast that we've had, it is, you've changed all of our lives. Oh, and I wow. think That's beautiful. But I think the extraordinary anguish and pain and everything you went through, there was no mistake. God would not have allowed that to happen to someone like you had you not seen the gem or the diamond within that huge huge mountain you know you just you found a way through it and that has to be commendable and I really sincerely hope that you are a beacon of light for people that are in those dark places that there is possibility there is opportunity there is Mm. there is a there is always a way out it might not happen today it might not happen tomorrow but you've created or you've shown me in particular that there's always a way Mm. well that's beautiful I don't even know what to say now. <laughs> well, we're, we're at the moment, we're in Bali. And um, for those who don't know what happened next, how about you tell them what happened to you in Bali? Okay. Um, so I fly to Bali on the 12th of October because Greg's anniversary was the 14th. So I fly to Bali on the 12th of October and I have full reconciliation with myself and full, you know, um, a complete peace about the decision that I'd made that Bali was going to be my end because I couldn't live with what I'd done. I couldn't live with what I'd done to his family, his sisters and his parents and his mates. It, I couldn't live with it. Um, and I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't live with with myself not being with him. I couldn't I couldn't bear that. Can, can you just articulate, though, mm. that you didn't do anything to Greg? You thought you had... Don't, don't you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. you know, if someone was listening to this, I'd be, I would be thinking, what did you do? Did you oh, okay. 
Yeah, okay, sorry, I missed that part completely. Um, yeah, well, he, Greg took his life and I took responsibility. And I think that was, that was really the, the big thing. The police officer handed me a CD of Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head song that Greg had set to repeat while he was taking his life in his car. And the police officer said at the time, he said, Karen, this was set to repeat in Greg's car, so I guess it was about you. Now, I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know how to handle him taking his life. But when the police officer said, I guess it's about you, he kind of told me how to handle it. Completely inadvertently and innocently, I'm sure, well, obviously innocently, but because I was in a place where I needed somebody to blame, it had to be me, and that was perfect. Because while ever it was me, I had control. And I, in a situation that I was completely out of control of. So... I took on the responsibility wholeheartedly and then the guilt of what I'd done to his family and the guilt of what, what I'd done to myself and being without him was too much. So um, going to Bali, my intention was that I would take my own life because I couldn't live with what I'd done. And from there, I found myself in the sari club that night with two really close girlfriends and it was about 11.30 that night and it was the night of the 2002 Bali bombing. So that night the bomb went off. Um, I was blown backwards, which I later discovered into a huge big pit. Um, and Jody and Charmaine were the two girlfriends that came with me. They were blown into a bar, which is all we can assume because we don't know. Um, but they never made it home. How I managed to make it home now, I, I, I don't actually know how, but there must have been grander forces at play mm. because the pit that I was blown back into, a whole, you know, I was covered in bodies and I was covered in rubble and I was covered in the roof. And I lay on the bottom of this pit with all of that on top of me, which in one sense, I guess, saved me. Um, so, you know, when I came out of Bali and came out of that whole experience, it was very challenging to try and reconcile how I went to Bali to take my own life, yet Jodie and Charmaine never made it home. And it was very challenging to put the pieces of that puzzle together to try to reconcile my life again because I was here. I hadn't been taken and I had come so close to losing my life because the entire left side of my skull was crushed. And I'd come so close to being killed that I had real perspective on what that would do to my family and what that would do to all my friends. Whereas before Bali, I couldn't see that. I couldn't, I was so disassociated from any sense of reality that I couldn't make sense of what that would do to anybody. But afterwards, after I'd been blown up, I really got it. Mm. So when I got home and I saw what that was doing, to what that would have done to my family, just the devastation that occurred for my family with what I'd been through, yet I was still alive was, you know, it was devastating to see the pain that my mum went through and devastating to see the pain that my dad and my brother and my sister went through. No, it was just, just devastating. And it's, you know, and then the weeks and the months that passed beyond that, I went back into the depths of despair and depression again because now I felt that I was responsible for the death of three people, you know, Greg, Jody, and Charmaine, and it had all been because of me. Like how am I at the centre of all of this and I'm just a normal person? So I spent six years in the depths of despair and depression trying to understand how somebody that's just a normal person can be at the centre of three murders, if you like. And that's really how I saw it. 
and how I related to myself and how I related to my family and everybody that cared about me. I, I felt that I didn't deserve to have anybody care for me. So I ran away from home, packed up all my goodies, and I ran from Sydney and I moved up to the Sunshine Coast. And I stayed on the Sunshine Coast for about a year. Um, and then... And were you working at this stage? No, no. I no, was studying psychology. Yeah. I was studying psychology. What made you want to study that? Because I was trying to understand why Greg would suicide. Right. Mm. So but, it wasn't about you at this point. No, mm. but as I got more and more into my studies, I realised that what I was actually learning about was my own post-traumatic stress disorder mm. and how to handle it. And I guess that kind of... Um, Again, you know, when you don't know how to deal with things, when a person doesn't know how to deal with things, the only thing, the only frame of reference they can get is through books or through others. And I guess the textbooks told me what I was experiencing and then how to deal with it. And they recommended cognitive therapy as well as antidepressants. So I took myself off to the doctor and got myself on antidepressants and he put me in touch with a psychologist who um, just sat and listened to me which infuriated me beyond all degrees because I had a family who would listen to me and I had friends who would listen to me, but I needed someone who would fix me because it was hard living with who I was. And I went through, I counted them the other week because I had to do some more paperwork. I went through 32 psychologists, <laughs> 32 psychologists, and not one of them was able to give me anything that would help or support me through the process. They just wanted to listen to me, and I thought, well, that's all very well, but that's not what I need. I need somebody to give me coping tools. I need somebody to help me overcome what I'm You're dealing with. You're saying out of 32, out of 32 psychologists, not one of them gave you strategies, not tools, one. techniques? Not one. So no wonder people out there say it doesn't work. Well, you know, and, and, I, and I also think that it speaks volumes as to why I get the calls and the messages that I get from people who know that I'm around um, because the degree to which psychologists are prepared to go in a very litigious society, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if that's what drives it, but it's certainly there was no help. So can we, can we now go to when you started to work again, when you decided to get back into the workforce? Because did you go into business for yourself at this stage or were you working for somebody else? No, I, um, at the end of, uh, well, when I started coming around, I, what did I do? Gosh, I went back to the select appointments and they put me into a role which was relatively easy for me. It was a business development role. And I stayed in that role for a little while. But then I met Matt, my now partner. Big, hairy. Big, hairy, gorgeous creature. And he lived in Queensland and I lived in Sydney. So I spoke to the company that I work for and I said, look, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but I want to move to Brisbane. Will you transfer me? And they were really shocked. And they said they agreed. So they transferred me to Brisbane. So I would drive because Matt lived on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Matt drove all the way down, packed up my unit, packed up all of my goodies, put it all into trucks for me, drove my car up to the Gold Coast. I flew up. Uh, no, I didn't fly up, sorry. I drove. He drove with me. He drove with me because I had Dolly, my dog. 
So we drove up to the Gold Coast, and when I arrived, he'd found this beautiful two-story unit for me, had all of my furniture arrive three days before I got there, and he unpacked it all and arranged, you know, put everything in its place just beautifully. Princess. Princess is right. Totes didn't have to do a thing. Mm-hmm. It was very good. It's very good. Ma- Matthew is quite strong and capable when it comes to removing furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Darling. Yeah, yeah, he is. So um, I lived on the Gold Coast with him. He moved into that unit and didn't move out. Um, and I just commuted to the to Brisbane until finally I got really jack of that, couldn't do that anymore, and then I got a job on the Gold Coast and I was general manager for a really big real estate company. And that was really cool, but I don't know how they put up with me because I don't think I was very good at that job either. Because <laughs> I was still depressed, you know, I was still a mess. And every second day there'd be a fire alarm and I'd be a wreck and I'd be off for a week. Mm. Or, you know, there'd be a car backfire at the front of the office and I would just lose it. Or we'd go out for lunch and somebody would pop a champagne cork and I'd be a mess. So, you know, client Which is quite hysterical because whenever you go to a a conference with Karen now, there's always something exploding, always. (laughs) And she makes sure that there are explosions in the room as a result of those, what are those things called? Those poppers, you do that all the time. Yeah. So then what what I want to know is, what moved you from working for the real estate agent? Mm. And when I first met you, mm. speaking on that stage, telling your story. Mm. Because I this is where your business really started. Really started. Because you wanted to be a speaker, but then you became the trainer of the speakers, which mm. just, I, I want to know that. Where, how did that all happen? Well, she yeah. got Jack of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> she, she gets does, Jack of She does things, get Jack a lot of things. She, she gets annoyed yeah. with the way other people do it. Yeah, so yeah. she ends up recreating it and rebranding it and redoing it in it's a whole true. much better way. That's yeah. what happens. It's true. Mm. It's true. And mm-hmm. that's a, that, in a nutshell, that is it. <laughs> if, if I can't work with what's out there, I'll rebuild it. For sure. For sure. Are we lucky? Definitely. And I think I'm such an obnoxious soul that I can't work with many things out there. (laughs) Well, I was working obnoxious or highly evolved. With us. I think she's just more highly evolved. Oh, that was very sweet. That was. And she does work with us, though. She puts up with us. We're good. (laughs) No, we're good here. She tolerates us. We're good here. She tolerates us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Back back to where we were. So, So, what, what... how, how did you go from me seeing you out there years and years ago? Yeah. And how were you there? Just because we were invited, we were invited by a, a speaking agency to do um, a, a talk for event coordinators, so that they knew what was out there in the marketplace. So Karen was one of the main speakers. I was in the back room. Karen was one of the main speakers. It's true. It's true. And she did this Don't talk, and I have to tell second. you, I had. Um, she doesn't think so. She thinks she did the worst job ever oh, in speaking no. engagement. Did, Cindy, I saw the videos. You saw the videos. <laughs> but for me, I sat in there and I was like transfixed. I was mesmerized. I had goosebumps that weren't just staying at the nape of my neck, they were flying up my scalp. I was thinking, oh my gosh, how could somebody survive what she's just done? And yeah, that was. That's what I remember. I remember. I remember it that way. She remembers it as the worst thing she's ever done in her life. <laughs> well, because of who she is now, but cellular well, memory it does back make then, sense. Yes, okay. she wouldn't see herself as great as what she is now. But interestingly enough, that's the fascinating thing about people that speak. When you speak from the heart, it doesn't actually matter what your story mm. is or how you present it. If you engage and connect with their hearts, and that's obviously what you did. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, she connected mm-hmm. to my heart. Mm-hmm. I think. I Just think. Thank it, you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was kismet that Cindy was in the room because mm. um, Cindy approached me after that and suggested that I sign up with a bureau, a speakers bureau here on the Sunshine Coast. Mm, that's right. Rachel and I um, owned. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh my God!" Like. Who would even ask me to sign up with them? Like, who would even talk to me? Was there a part of you excited, though? Oh, my God. My my heart was in my throat. Because this this is what you wanted to do, right? It was. Mm. It was the first time that I'd... Well, uh, no, it was... I think it was probably about the eighth time I'd spoken. And the first seven times, I was absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. And I gave it away for about six months or seven months. And then I went off and learnt how to speak properly. I went, travelled all over the show learning how to speak properly. And this presentation that Cindy was at was the very first one that I got to play with my new toys. Oh. Yeah, it was the very, very first one. So I didn't really know what I was doing with them. I just got a chance to play with them. But you know what's interesting is that you didn't know what you were doing with them, so you think. You thought um, that you weren't doing as good a job as you'd probably like to. And as, as we know what you're like today, but like, I, I, I thought you were brilliant. Mm. But what's interesting is that when, if you do get up on the stage, if somebody does get up on the stage, they usually know more than the people in the audience. And sometimes, especially if you're talking about yourself, She was. Yeah. Touche. 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 All right. Keep going with the story. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that was meant to be because you became my mentor after that, you know. Like you became somebody that I looked up to and studied ferociously. And And you were somebody that I thought or felt like I could call and you would actually answer me. And I was like, oh, my God, she actually remembers my name, you know, and I remember asking you about how I could actually make turn money. this into a business or yeah. make money, and you said I needed a product. So the very next week I ripped out to a film, to a recording studio and recorded my CD, Remember the Butterfly, yeah. which then became my product that I started selling. I was still coaching into real estate because, I, you know, I wasn't making any money speaking, so I was still coaching into real estate, and that was my business. I was a consultant into the real estate industry. And then I would speak on the side for free and try and sell my CDs. But, you know, more than anything, get practice. But I think in my first year after I met you, Cindy, in my first year I spoke 100 times. And then each year subsequent to that I spoke somewhere between 90 and 140 times each year. So I made sure that I was on stage at least twice a week because it was the only way I was going to get good at it and get practice but also get very clear on my message and that was how I built my database. It's how I built my following. It's how I built my profile in the beginning. Um, right up until, what are we now, 2014. So 2013, last year, is the first year that I didn't do 90 presentations. Last year I would have done maybe 30, 35. So up until then I was doing um, umpteen presentations. In fact, I've done 1,003 presentations since 2005. Mm, which is huge it is huge it's huge for me it's just it's massive but Mm. for me I needed you know and I still need to continue doing that because it's just how I get my jollies it's how I it's how I um it's how I grow really Mm. but I think the point that I'm hearing and that is that it's almost like an apprenticeship it's like you've got to do the groundwork you've got you can't just be an instant 
amazing speaker overnight. People think, they probably look at you and think, oh, she makes it look so easy. And it's not till you get up there and try and do it yourself in the same kind of mode that you go, oh, my gosh, she she does it so well, she makes it look easy, and now I feel like a floundering mess. (laughs) Um, But you know what I mean? Like That's the beauty of a good speaker. You actually feel like there's... There's no rehearsal, mm-hmm. there's no... But I think I think with what I've learned over those thousand presentations and vomiting on my audience and passing out on the stage... <laughs> nice! Coming out with my fly undone. <laughs> um, what else? Falling off the stage, having a heel break off my shoe. Um, snot. No, thank goodness, no snot. Oh, Spit on the front you row. Know oh, that <laughs> I know of. Oh, <laughs> No one's going to tell you, oh, are they? And the last one, I don't know if I... T- oh, no, I don't even know if I should say. The last one, I was on a really, really high stage and I'd put on weight and I was wearing this tight, tight dress and when I put the dress on, you could see my undie line and I thought, no, that's terrible. So big, took them off. big undie lines, so I took them off and then I didn't realise there were people staring straight at my dress. <laughs> and they could see what you had for breakfast. Correct. That is now the name has. I think the roles have changed. We now have the tart of all tarts. (laughs) Oh, let us not go there. That was the most humiliating because the lights were so bright on me, I didn't realise that there were people right underneath the stage looking up in at a ninety degree angle. I didn't see that. I could just. I couldn't even see anybody. I was in this big stadium, and I didn't know. There was oh like four thousand people there, and did a you thousand say, of them were looking up my dress. Did you say you'd put on weight? <laughs> I had put on weight. Maybe there's a time and a place when bigger thighs are actually really good. Cap on stage at Awaken the Change Within last year. And Karen and I didn't know what to do. We were horrified, didn't even know where to look. Listeners, please note, I have not mentioned the word they both have. Clearly, it wasn't me. (laughs) All right, so now I have another question. So, going from being the speaker, I'm getting us back on track, Kimmy. I'm doing your trick. I'm doing your trick. So, So, because I. I still, I don't know anything about the latest thing, so I'm hanging out to get to there, but I'm being patient. I'm being really patient. So going from being a speaker... now. And well, yeah, when did you start to see that it, there was money? There was a it? need. You were, a oh, need to a train need. people to speak. And money. Like, for mm. a lot of people, they want to speak, but you, you don't make money. No, you don't. You definitely don't. And I, when I first started speaking... I remember I decided to start speaking and at that time it was Christmas time and I had $9 in the bank. And I remember I said to Matt, I'm going to start speaking, I'm going to start speaking. And he said, you're useless, you know, it's never going to happen. I've heard you. So not quite like it. your mother, is, is no, it? No, not quite supportive no, like no, your mother. No, quite the reality <laughs> check, that one. And that was, and that, actually that was quite, that, that was his attitude towards it because he thought, you know, why would anybody want to do that? That's just nuts, crazy like. Because he's a very private person. So he, he couldn't imagine why anybody would ever want to do it. So, And he'd seen me, you know, attempt it in the past, and I was not very good at it. <laughs> so he was just being honest, bless his heart. But it, what I did was I signed up with a whole bunch of speakers' bureaus, 
And because I was inexperienced, the speakers' bureaus wouldn't risk their reputations on me. Even though I had an amazing story and I'd been in the newspapers, on the radios and all of that, they didn't want to risk, risk their reputation. So the speakers' bureaus wouldn't take me on. And, um, well, they took me Big on. mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> Big. <laughs> well, they registered me, but they never gave me work. Still to this day, I don't get much from speakers' bureaus. Mm. No, no. Maybe I've probably had three gigs from a speakers' bureau. Mm. Still to this day. Mm. But I don't pursue them anymore. I go mm. direct. Yeah. And, you know, most companies now, if they want a particular speaker, they just Google them. Mm. So they can bypass the speakers' bureaus altogether. Um, but at the time, that was all that there was. So I registered with them, didn't get any work out of them. Um, I, so I really just pushed hard on getting speaking engagements through the um, business networks. Mm. And then I also started marketing myself to corporates to speak for their seminars. And it was through there, or speak for their conferences, it was through that process that I started to generate a bit of money out of it. But in my first year, I think I generated $15,000 from paid speaking engagements because I was only charging $17.50 for a Mm. keynote. Um, And then the second year, I think I probably would have done maybe 20 in in, um, speaker fees. And it just wasn't enough. It wasn't going to cut it for me. And I really wanted to stop consulting into the real estate industry. So it was at that point that I was speaking for, you know, easily 10,000 people every year. And in that 10,000 people, there were so many amazing business women and people who had incredible businesses, incredible stories, amazing insights, but just had no idea how to share their message and no idea how to take what they knew to a bigger audience. They didn't have a clue. Mm. And by that stage, I was well experienced at it. At least I thought I was. So I created my own seminars. At the time, it was called The Art of Public Speaking. Now it's called Speakers Fast Track. But I created my first seminar and I ran a pilot. Which I'm into. I know. You were both invited. It's in your way. And I was so terrified to deliver that pilot that the night before I got laryngitis. That's right. So I spoke through laryngitis at my pilot because what I did was I put the present I put the program together. It was a two day seminar and I condensed it into one and I invited everybody to the pilot that scared the bajinkers out of me. And I invited them to come to the pilot because I thought if I can deliver to you guys who scare the absolute pants off me, then I can deliver to anybody. And I think there was about Baptism 20. Baptism by fire. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Karen, you're amazing mm. that you... People would not do People this. wouldn't do that. It's totally stepping outside your comfort zone. Whoa, whoa, way outside your comfort zone. Really? Yes. yes. I bet you everybody is, is shaking in their boots listening to this, that you took that leap of faith, that you plunge yourself into the baptism of fire, that you, you know, and you know, Kim... Kim was a speaker. I was a speaker. Mm. Oh, wow. I, yeah. had, I had no idea. I'd invited Rachel. Yeah, Rachel Birmingham. <laughs> there, was, there, was a whole yeah. Bunch of, there was a whole bunch of other people who were in the room that just terrified me. Karen, terrified I'm just me. in And your mum. Oh, my mum. Oh, your mum's always there. Comfort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my mum's been to just about every seminar yeah. I've put on ever since. She's always there. Yeah, she's she always there. every seminar I put on. Mm. Love my mum. We're going to have her on. That'd be so nice. Mm. She'd love that. Mm. So, yes, I got laryngitis the night before. I was so terrified. But um, everybody was really sweet. They were lovely to me. And as a result of that, I went, I can do this. So I delivered my seminar. I delivered my first seminar to the public probably, I don't know, about a month or so later. And after that, I completely resigned from real estate. 
I delivered the seminar on the Saturday and the Sunday, and on the Monday I handed in my resignation because I thought if I can deliver that over the weekend, I've just got to do that more often in more states and in more places, and I'll be fine. It'll work out. It'll be fine. So, again, it was just another leap of faith, and at that point um, I had $9, and I had to try and make that work, you know. So when there's, there's, a big, there's a big difference between wanting something and having to do something. And I had my back up against the wall, so I had to make it work. Mm-hmm. I'd committed to it. I'd made the leap of faith, and I had to make it work. So, And you quit your other job. So Absolutely. there was no falling back on anything at that no, stage. Nothing. And Matt didn't make enough money to cover my part of the mortgage and car and all of that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. so I had to make it work. Yeah. And but, but, Karen, a lot of people would be listening to this or, or know people who do this, and, and they would do the same thing. There's a lot of people that do it. Mm. But a lot of people give up as well after mm. that. You must have had knockbacks. You must have had moments oh where you goodness. questioned it. What kept you going? What? Well, even to this day, you know, even to this day, there are still times where I question whether I'm doing the right thing or should I keep going or, you know, how much harder does it have to get or how much, you know, what else is there to do? And even to this day, I think there's always reasons why a person would throw in the towel. There's always a hundred reasons why a person would throw in the towel and possibly only one reason why a person would stay. And it could be that this is your path. You know, and that was certainly for me. Once I decided to be a speaker and I got a taste of that, I realized this is me. And this will be me till I die. This is this is me and what I'm put here for. So it's an inner knowing and there's no justification and there's no actual qualitative reason that I can give. It's just what I know. And I know that no matter what happens, I will always do this. In some way, I will always do this because this is this is why I'm here and it's why I've survived. So no matter how frightening something is or no matter how risky something is, I've been blown up. So mm. I figure if I've been blown up <laughs> and I've survived it, I can take on anything. And I guess that's kind of the mental justification that I've put behind everything that I've done. But what I do know is that I've made a lot of mistakes And I've taken the long road around to get to a lot of the places that I'm at. And that's why now I call my event speakers fast track. And obviously I've got other seminars that people can participate in beyond that. But So let's talk about those other ones that Yeah. Yeah, because you know, I did speakers fast track. Um, I came to that. Um, and then the next thing I went to was mindset mastery. Now Mm. why did there's a reason why you did mindset mastery because you realize that most people's problems were yeah it's not what they do it's what they think about what they do Mm. um i created speakers fast track realized that there was still so much more to learn so then i created the next level up which is called now called monetize your message which is advanced speaker training um and then i also created mindset mastery which is now called epic entrepreneur um And the whole pack of all of those events is actually called Epic Entrepreneur. And Epic Entrepreneur is old mindset mastery. And it's because we are so in our way. We are so in our own way. And there is nothing out in the marketplace that actually supports people psychologically to get beyond their own belief that I'm not good enough and then take their business or their message or their passion or their purpose to the world so that the world can become a better place because of it. Most people are still sitting biting their nails off, wondering how and when the next opportunity is going to come their way when it just doesn't work that way. You know, we've almost got to, we've got to clean up what goes on between our two ears to create the void so that then the universe can rush in and fill it with everything that it's supposed to have. But until we can deal with our own inner demons, 
we will sit biting our nails wondering when the next opportunity is coming and then we'll find ourselves at the end of our days and wondering why we never lived the life we wanted to. You know, I heard a quote so, just recently, um, forgive me if I, if it, I hope I get it right, but it was um, an opportunity is when preparation, no, luck, luck yeah. is when preparation and opportunity meet. Meet. Um, and people say, oh, you're so lucky, but Nothing in fact, to do with it. you've been prepared and you've had the opportunity and they've connected on the same level. Mm. You would, I mean, what would you say to people if they're sitting there thinking, I've been dying to do this, but they're, they're biting their nails? Like, well, you don't know how to do it because if we did, we would have done it already. If we knew how, we would have already done it. So stop sitting, biting your nails and waiting for the opportunity to come come to something like Speakers Fast Track, whether it's my event or somebody else's, it doesn't matter. Just get in action and start doing something because if we knew how to make it happen, we would have already done it. But we don't know, so follow them the footsteps of somebody who does. And for me, Speakers Fast Track, I call it Fast Track because it's taken the last nine years of every mistake that I've ever made and eliminated it and put it into a really fast track recipe for people so that they don't have to wait nine years to get where I am. They might get there in nine months, you know, like who knows, depending on, on, on how committed they are to the process. And the other point you make is, I think, beautiful, is that you don't have to be blown up. No. To get this I figure into I've taken action. it for the team. You've taken I've one, taken for, the one team. for the team. You so have. Totes. And I, I even wouldn't go as far as saying you even put it in your mouth and chewed. I mean, I'm just saying. I do. I think you did. You took one totally for the team and probably <laughs> swallowed. Um, she said that, didn't she? I just realised where you were going with that. I knew exactly where she was going. I didn't know you. <laughs> as soon as she said chewed, I went, oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you, you really, I love that in your seminars when you say that. You, you know, I've taken one for the team. I've, be, I'm, I've had the bomb blast. Mm. Don't wait for something to blow you up or for the opportunity to go by you. I think that's the greatest gift and message you can give. And I do that now in all of my presentations. I always have something that ends with a bang. Um, and one of the things that I do, that I'm doing at the moment, is Matt and I sit up for hours at night stuffing little messages that I've written into balloons. And at the end of my presentations, people have got to blow up the balloon, tie it off, and then they've got to sit on it. So that's kind of like their own little mini bomb, you know, under their butt just to give them a bit of a wake-up call to get the message. But I think from a business point of view, you know, when I started running the seminars, that's when the money started to flow, but not initially because I made stupid mistakes. I would say that I've really only been generating a decent income over the last three years because I really started to realise where I made my really stupid mistakes. But I think, in, you know, and if, if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. And that's oh, the yeah. thing that I'm learning is that you just, you, you're just tenacious. You, 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 you just don't give up. You just no. keep going. Mm. How do you know when you've got, you said before, I just know this is my calling. Mm. How do you know when you know that you're calling? Well, maybe you don't, and I didn't know it in the beginning. But one thing I have always known is that if we build it, no matter what it is, if we build it and we're consistent, people will come. The only time that that doesn't work is if we've got the right product, wrong market, or right market, wrong product. That's the only time that things don't work in business. So you can have the right product, but you're addressing the wrong market. So, you know, I might have a product of, of nail polish and I'm trying to sell it to young boys. Wrong market. It's so a right product, but wrong market. Um, or wrong market, uh, sorry, wrong product, right market. So I might be working with female entrepreneurs, which is the right market for me, but I might be trying to sell them um, Winnebago's. You know, some, maybe it's just wrong product, right market. Mm. I think it was a little bit like the talk that we went to um, 
where there was a bunch of entrepreneurial women wanting to know a story about a speaker who ended up telling us how to motivate ourselves in exercise. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I felt that that was great market but wrong story. Wrong story. Wrong story completely. Mm. And so you've just made me realise, you know, I think, I believe she made a mistake mm. um, at that point because I have no wish to learn any more from her because she didn't teach me anything I didn't know. And most yeah. business women know how to motivate themselves, whether it's for exercise or business or anything like that. I think most women know how to do that. Mm. So you also do, I'm, I'm moving us because... I still want to know about the surprise. You know, I don't know about the surprise yet. You know, we are so building it. We are so building it. So then you do mindset mastery. Yes. So once or twice a year, isn't it? No, no, no. Once a year now. Actually, mm-hmm. I think I've got the wrong word. The one where you are online and you are coaching people. That's monetize your message. Oh, okay. That's the advanced speaker training. So they've got so people have got to come to speakers fast track. That's the only way they can get access to the rest of my programs because okay. the rest of the programs are not available to the public. Because you have to work through the the ranks of it. So you've got speakers fast track, and then monetize your message, which is the online coaching. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, and then there's Mindset Mastery, which is now Epic Entrepreneur, and that's a three day live event. That's all about the psychology behind our success. But then attached to that is also an online coaching program, which is called The Gateway. The Gateway. Mm. Are you, are you, you know, like it's like... Yeah. Um, it's, like your, it's like your monthly... Yeah, that's it. Noodle baking. And she um, does noodle bake you and she sends you down the rabbit hole and then yes. another one. Yes. Can you, can Every you just month. make it obvious so that some people will be listening to this thinking, oh, I don't want to be a speaker or I don't really want to do that or I actually don't even want my own business. But mm. this is your work, mm. your programs are designed for anybody and anybody wanting to improve or create more personal development. So how do you yeah. encompass those people? Well, I think, well, the the nature of Speakers Fast Track is it teaches people to get clarity on their message. It teaches people to get clarity on their on, on what comes out of their mouth. Which so, could be when you're even speaking at a 21st or a oh, wedding or a best or friend's birthday. Or, even with a husband. Like yeah, it's one on one or one on a million. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, I relate to Matt the same way that I deliver my presentations. And it's, you know, it's a way of getting clarity and a way of thinking clearly, which a lot of us don't actually have a strategy for. Mm. So we'll go into arguments and emotions are high, intelligence is low. Mm. So when that happens, we don't have strategies. So people who want to um, communicate more effectively in corporate or or, um, even just go for a pay rise, we're quite emotional about that. So we don't communicate well. So it's so awesome what you mm, offer. I know I love it. I've done it's, it's I've actually, done all your courses and it's I actually love them. them. It's mm. relationship building. Yeah. It's relationship um I don't I don't want to say breaking in a negative way. I mean you get very clear on what you want and don't want in your life. Very and yeah. I think that's incredibly powerful. And you get clear you get clear on your relationship with yourself. Mm. You know, at all of the events, you know, the whole content, you know, the whole concept of is it is to learn to speak and to be clear on your message, but it's above everything else. It's a greater and more intimate and connected um, relationship with the self. That's the whole intention of everything that I do is to is to help people become more intimate with who they are and what they are. And then beyond that, then nothing intimidates them. Mm. Nothing stands in your way. Nothing's too big to jump. Everything's within reach. Before we get to the, the thing that you've been working on for three years, mm. 
Has family ever featured for you? I know I've had a couple of people ask me personally, has Karen got children? Mm. Has Karen thought about children? Are you willing to share yeah, of where course. that went with you? Yeah. Um, I, Matt and I tried to have kids, or Greg and I, um, uh, um, Greg and I actually did fall pregnant, um, and I lost the baby just prior to his funeral. And um, that was quite devastating at the time, which, you know, at the, you know, it just compounded everything that else was going on. And then um, Matt and I tried to fall pregnant for about three years and went to get help with IVF. Went in... Help with sex, I think that was one. <laughs> oh, well. I didn't say it. wasn't me. No. <laughs> I didn't even look at her. <laughs> She telepathically told me to say it. I, I want you to know that. I can see it. I can see it. Uh, yeah, so we went and tried to get some help, but when we went and got some help, what they discovered was that one of my ovaries had been completely taken over with this huge big cyst. So I had a big cyst that was about the size of a large grapefruit on my left side. Yeah, it was... It was, <laughs> it was this big between the eyes. Huge. <laughs> bigger than me. It was bigger than me. <laughs> So they took the ovary out and they said that um, there would be no chance of me falling pregnant again beyond that. And, you know, I'm a big believer in what's meant to be will be. So when Matt and I went to the gynecologist, it wasn't to get IVF. I was never going to do the IVF thing. It was just to figure out what was going on and why I wasn't falling. And he was okay, so the problem was with me. So they said that um, chances are that cyst had been growing for the last 10, 15 years and I just didn't know about it. So they took the ovary, and um, that's the end of that. Mm. So I, you know, was very philosophical about it. What's meant to be will be. And I figure that I have such a huge life in the context of humanity and what my intentions are and where I want to go with what I'm doing that, you know, maybe every, maybe that's meant to be as well. And I'm such an animal lover. So I just fill my life with fluffy people. <laughs> And I've Matt that included. <laughs> yeah, yes, that Matt included. <laughs> so I'm very, I'm very happy and I'm very contented. And I mean, I do look at little babies and I do look at my, you know, dearest friends that have got babies, but I just treat them like they're mine. <laughs> and you give them back. <laughs> I do give them back. Yes, I do give them back. So, so tell us then where you're at now and what's what's about to be launched. Well, can can no. I? I just, I'll just go back a little yeah. bit. So we've heard about what's about to be launched um, about three years ago. Can mm. you also explain how it's morphed, how it's mm. evolved? Because and what you've done you had the it. idea, you had the idea, and we mm. heard about it. And I just love the way it's evolved. And I would love everybody to um, understand how that's evolved in your head, what were the changes that needed to be made. You know, because you had doors shutting, mm. but you never, she just kept trying to open another door, didn't she? Until you finally got the right door. So I think that that's a really good story that people should, yeah. would like to hear probably. About three years ago, I was delivering Mindset Mastery and it came to me while I was standing on the stage. Um, I, I was telling a story about something and then all of a sudden the whole idea of, of having my own TV show called Karen's Couch came to me um, as an idea of something that I wanted to create. So I just decided to tell everybody that this is what I'm doing. Because <laughs> we know this is what Karen does. <laughs> well, well, I definitely do that. As soon as yeah. I get the idea, it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> so I came up with the idea and um, 
That night I got home and I bought a big A3 project book on my way home from the seminar and I sat up until midnight downloading everything from what it would look like, who would be my guests, the contracts, the sponsorships. I wrote the contracts. I wrote the agreements. I wrote everything. And it was just coming from out of nowhere. I spoke to Matt about it and he was like so excited. And it was, it was a slightly different format to what it is now, but, um, I decided to really run with that. And then that took me about a year to get the courage to do anything with it. And then it took me another year to actually get the courage to get the courage to do anything with it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I, strangely enough, ran into a woman who, um, her husband was one of the heads of Foxtel and she put me in touch with him. We had a, a Skype session together with a glass of wine and spoke about my show. They were interested in it. They were really interested in the show but needed to see a pilot of it so that they could really get the, the, the gist of it. And at the time, the show was going to be me doing counselling sessions on telly um, or on the show and filming people before, then filming me with the counselling session and then filming people afterwards in their lives. And it was always going to be very controversial and very topical subjects. That was probably one of the sticking points um, was that I wanted to be controversial and then I wanted to be very topical. Because at the time, one of the things that I was really keen to hone in on was where it was when there was um, it was revealed that young boys had been abused by the Catholic Church and other institutions, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go there. I wanted to lift the lid on it, and of course, that was really you know challenging mm-hmm. for any major networks. And that was just one. That was just one thing I wanted to be able to give people the truth on, and let's really get it out. Let's explore it. Let's not hold anything back and and keep um, the covers over anything. So Foxtel put me in, in the touch with a production company and I went down and met with the production company. I, there was something that just didn't fit, something that just wasn't right. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I had promised that I would just trust my gut on this. And later on it turns out that the production company had changed hands and when they changed hands they'd gone off on their own instead of being with this huge big company that they were originally with, which really left a sour taste in my my mouth, so I decided I wouldn't go down that path. Mm -hmm. Looked for a couple of other production companies, couldn't find anything that would, like, flick my switch. Spoke with the producer of 60 Minutes, who I became really good friends with after we did the 60 Minutes anniversary feature um, show together for the Bali Bombing anniversary. So I really bounced a lot off her, and she was amazing, um, but still couldn't get anything. So I just decided that it wasn't meant to be. I I built my own TV network. (laughs) <laughs> That's probably what she did think. <laughs> Look at that. Look at it. Oh, so wait till I show you what's next because this is the surprise. Because this, this you don't even know. And um, so then... We're, we're waiting here like just <laughs> on the edges of our seats. And then so I couldn't find the production company so I put it all on hold and I just really lost my nerve. I really got scared and I really lost my nerve with it and I just thought I'm not good enough. This is never going to happen that's just not me. I can't do it. And I'm watching all these other little shows coming up and I thought, no, it's not me. I'm not good enough. I'll never be able to do it. I'll never be able to do it. 
And then it was this year, it was the 1st of January, I woke up and I slapped myself across the chops and I went, it's happening and it's happening now. <laughs> and it was literally like that. It was one, on the 31st I went to bed still not even a thought of it because I'd put it so far behind me. And 1st of January I wake up and I went, this is it. It's happening, it's happening now. You get onto it and you're doing it yourself. Bugger all the rest of the production companies. Don't worry about doing getting anybody else to help you. Put on your own production team. Find a cameraman and I don't know how I knew but I went, find a camera, cameraman, find a producer, find somebody who can manage your sponsorships, and you need to find an audio engineer. You need to get onto that, and you need to do that now. <laughs> so that was the conversation I had with myself, and I approached people that I Most knew. Most people were hungover or still in bed, and she has no. created a whole new television show. No, that's right. So I just got into action, and I didn't tell anybody. So I contacted the people that I knew would be really amazing mm. in each of those roles, and they all agreed to be a part of it. And um, I started just coming up with the concepts of the show. And I changed the concept of the show because what I wanted the show to actually be and what it is now is it's two sides. So instead of it being me on the couch counselling, because I figured that would actually get boring after a while, what it is, it's two sides. So it's, um, for arguments, for example, we've got entrepreneurial woman versus an employed woman. We've got um, depressed versus recovered. We've got drug addict versus recovered addict. Um, we've got uh, uh, oh well, it's just there's there's a whole overweight, overweight, overweight versus slim, mm. emotional eater versus fuel eater. So we've got two, so it's two sides, mm. so that it's educational for all the viewers and the topics that we have would just blow your mind. Mm. They are hilarious, hilarious. Did you hear that? Some of them are hilarious. Spit or swallow. <laughs> she said it. <laughs> Hopefully nobody heard that. Hopefully nobody heard that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, my God. Anyway, so we've done our first round of shoots and um, the show goes live tomorrow. Oh, Tomorrow, where? Shut the front door. Well, front it's door. on the website. On the you website. You can go to Karen's Couch, and it's C-A-R-R-E-N-S-C-O-U-C-H dot com. So it's karenscouch.com. And our first episode goes live tomorrow at 10 a.m. And every Tuesday at 10 a.m., Karen's Couch will release a new episode. Wow. Mm. So it's very, very exciting. And we've got um, new segments coming into the show called Karen's Corner, where in Karen's Corner, it's just where I get to talk about everything that's my favorite stuff or things that I think need to be reviewed. So I'm doing product reviews, um, I'm doing book reviews, I'm talking about things that are topical at the time, I'm talking about things that are amazing or things that have upset me. That's where it's going to go on Karen's Corner and I shall be very opinionated. Um, and, and do you think she'll ever run out of topic? No. No, <laughs> no, no not at all. Was there all. any hesitation? No, no, there was no hesitation in that one. <laughs> and then we've also got another segment called Conversations with Karen, which we'll run once a month, where we'll have a guest come on the show that um, will be somebody who wants to work with me from a counselling perspective. So mm. we'll have mm. maybe a 10 or a 15-minute segment where somebody may come on the show and, and we've got somebody coming on the show who's going through um, a relationship breakdown. So either one or both parties at this stage, we're still working on that, but um, they'll come on the show and we'll work through strategies that they won't have been, um, they wouldn't have considered beyond coming on the show that might help them get either back together or complete with each other in a way that is um, beneficial for everybody involved, including their children. 
And something so, about also watching real life stories mm. that's so much easier to identify with and to relate to. And that's the upside with Karen's couch is this, the rules are there's not it's not allowed to be edited. So Ooh. from hello to goodbye, there's no edits. It's completely raw. So it's yeah, it's it's really really cool. It's really cool. Mm. I I think that. Um, I'm really excited about it. I feel like it's. I feel like everything that I've done has led me to this. Mm. It's a massive investment for me at this point. Um, but you know, I've got our sponsorship manager, and she's working with sponsorships for the for the show. And, and what if but someone listening to, to this is knows somebody or feels like somebody might like to back part of this or sponsor a show? Oh, like, where wow. can they contact? Where? They go straight go straight to Karen's Couch dot com dot com. And go to the contact page and send us a send us a note through the contact page. We would just like fall over ourselves. It'd be very exciting. So people can sponsor a show or a series. Or they a... can sponsor a show or they can sponsor a series. There's a whole um, there's a whole proposal around sponsorship opportunities, and the, you know obviously the, the whoever sponsors the show must be aligned with me. Mm-hmm. So of course there's no testing on animals and um, you know. No cruelty. No breakfast cereals. No breakfast cereals. No modified milks. No modified no milks. No McDonald's. No McDonald's. <laughs> no big corporations that use no big corporations. all nasty chemicals in their products. None whatsoever. Don't even bother trying. Yeah, none. Won't have it. And, you know, we watched um, the preview. Which we're going to put on the link yeah, we at the will. bottom of this podcast. So yeah. you can click on the link to go straight to Karen's Couch, those that go to the Wellness Couch, and also to our Facebook page. We're going to put it up there. Um but we got to watch the preview, oh. and it was like it's like it, watching Lisa move over on Channel Nine. Yeah, agree. Anyone on any agree. television presenter, could she should have taken. She should have taken after Mel. Really, I think she would have been a better substitute for Mel on Sunrise as opposed to whoever else there is there. I don't even know who it is anymore. Right, <laughs> which is probably really mean because she's probably really gorgeous. But think- Karen, you would have done a better job. <laughs> It's also going to be on podcast, so people can go to iTunes and search Karen's Couch on the podcast, and Karen's Couch will so be So they able. can listen to the audio as well. That's brilliant, because That's I don't yeah. always have time to sit there and watch things on my computer, but yeah. I'd love to hear it. Well, the first show is 15 minutes, and that's just an introduction, but the rest of the shows are roughly around 30, 35 minutes at most. So it'll be um, on video on the website, and it'll also be podcast on iTunes. So where do you want this to go? Do you want this to um, remain on Karen's Couch, or are you hoping for a like a big audience yeah, on a national Oprah, international Letterman. Oprah, Letterman, you know? Yeah? Yeah. Look, but, you know, is I that am, your dream? My intention is that Karen's Couch becomes bigger than Ben-Hur, um, purely because I'm leaving no stone unturned and I'm going to all the controversial topics and I'm, I'm speaking the truth about them. So everything that we put on the show will be absolutely 100% educated, researched. Um, but also I think because the intention of the show is to help people become more and <laughs> they're making they're making sign language here, and I know exactly what they're saying. We're, we're just saying we're just wondering if you'll remember us. Yeah. Of course, not. Will yes. you remember us like, for a chat? Still, we going? Absolutely. Can we get your autograph? <laughs> get her autograph now because it might not be able to get it in a week when it launches. When, when, when we hear things like Kim, who? C- Cindy, who? <laughs> oh, sorry. Let's <laughs> jump. <laughs> My intention mm. is that it's that it's really really huge, and you know I've, I'm working on the next project now, which was and Karen's Couch is just a very very small part 
of the next project, which is absolutely massive. Um, I've, I've gone, I've, I've decided not to put it on the major networks at this point. Um, and not that I've even been invited to because I haven't, but I haven't approached anybody for it purely because I don't want to be told what I can and can't put on the show. And I don't want to be beholden to any stakeholders and I don't want anybody telling me what I can and can't talk about based on advertisers. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. So I figured that the internet is a free... Such a way to actually get mm. messages out there now. Totally, totally. Freedom of speech. Yeah. And I've got but, the but, next... But having, sorry, just having oh, said right. that, freedom of speech, I, I really, what I think I will... Well, no, what I know I could guarantee we would get from you is that educated... Mm. Um, I, I guess someone would say, some people listening to this would say, but it's going to be biased anyway because it'll be your truth. So your ideals around animal cruelty would not suit someone in China that's up for that. Mm. Um, that you know that uh, that won't allow products into their country without animal testing, for example. So how? But do it's we always give... going to be two sides. So you so... would have someone on the show that's into animal testing. Uh, well, no, no but she'd I kill him. Yeah, oh, I don't I, know if no, we'd I let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I absolutely I'm would just kill him. <laughs> no, but see, so a classic, a classic <laughs> example would be we've got a show where um, we interview Dr. Will Tuttle on veganism and his book, The World Peace Diet. But then on the next show, we've got Nell Stevenson, who's the Paleo Easter. Nice. So she's talking about um, the paleo diet and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So there will always be two sides. Mm. Animal testing and cruelty, you know, yeah, I'm definitely doing a show on that because I think it's important people know about products that are tested on animals. Mm. Whether I have another side on for that, you know, we're doing some research on who we could get on. But I can tell you now it's very challenging to get somebody on who does do animal testing like somebody from L'Oreal or Revlon to come on and justify why they test on animals and continue to test on animals in a, in a debate because what? that's what it would be. It would be a debate conversation. It's very challenging. Why not a drug company? Because they may have the reason why, like they may have a different reason as to why they test on animals. Not that I agree with it, but... You know, well, that the means whole, they tested on the animal instead of the human. Just well, the whole yeah. argument of of animal of, of testing on animals for cosmetics versus testing on animals for drugs is two very separate arguments. Oh. It's two very separate arguments. So we would have to have those were two separate shows mm. because, it, interestingly enough, people are more accepting of animal testing when it comes to drugs mm. because of cancers and you know. People have lost friends and family to cancer, so they have a real connection to mm. it. So that's more of an emotive subject as opposed to testing on animals for mascara. Yeah, true. Mm. True. Yeah. Now, while you've so, been talking, Kim's been writing, as she always does. Right. Kim, do you want to review um, what we've learned from Karen's journey? Because, I, like... I it, think it's very basic. Like, as yeah. in, you know, like, I, I didn't try to get too complicated, but I just think I, what I took from... Our beautiful Kazes, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Don't be afraid. Mm. I think you've shown so much guts and tenacity that I think just, just make me want to get up here and <laughs> I just want to do it. I want to do it even more. Never give up. I think that's one thing that you and Cindy have taught mm. so many of us. When you're passionate about something, you do not give up. You keep going. Take action and do something. You know, don't mm. sit there waiting for the opportunity to come, you said. Get mm. off your chuff and actually do it so I think the big thing I got there was you wanted to be a speaker you got knocked back you got knocked back so then you went and trained yourself for eight months or so and I'm thinking yeah. god don't ever think you're not you're, you're we too can, good we can do anything anybody can do anything and everything that we do will be successful 
Sometimes it might take a little bit of time, but it doesn't matter what we do. It will all be successful. The marketplace rewards, rewards consistency. The only problem we have is we give up too soon. We give up too early. And there's always somebody who's done what we're doing and been successful. So learn from them. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Learn from them. Mm, mm, that's great. Um, write it down. I notice you always say, I, wrote, I got up and I got on it and I wrote everything down and I yeah, kept writing yeah, and I yeah. kept writing and I think that's a really neat point. Yeah, because when you get it out of your head, it makes room for more. Yes. When you don't get it out of your head and you keep it swimming around your head, you can't think of the next step or the next piece or there's no, there's no possibility of clarity. It does seem to be a maximum Correct. amount that <laughs> goes in there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And same with my wardrobe. Yes, you need to clear out to allow more to come exactly. in. Exactly. You've got to exactly. declutter. 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 Back to that mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, educate yourself was obviously what we just spoke of and get trained up. I really liked that. I think I think it's important. If you don't know something, get the information and mm. get out there and, and you know, research it. Don't ever stop thinking that we know it all. You're amazing like that. I think you've nailed it. And then you come out the following week and go, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what I just read now. <laughs> and it even goes beyond what she just said. Yeah. You do that too, yeah. actually. It's beautiful. Um, I, I wrote this. I don't know if you said this, but this is what I took. Obviously, trust your gut is one of your big things. But I think the biggest thing I got from you is find courage, then do courage, then just be courage. Oh, oh that's really good. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. I think find it, then do it. So do courageous acts and then just be. We need be a bumper it. sticker with that. Mm. I agree. I find think, courage, I be courageous. Because you did, courage. you found your courage. Then you did the courage. Then you did you do it. it. You acted. Oh, so find courage, do, do courageous courage. things, and, and, then, and then be, and then be courageous. courageous. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's love it. great. That's beautiful. Thank you. You're yeah, such thank an inspiration you. to us. Thank you. You've had us hanging on every word. Yeah. You just you're an amazing woman, Karen. You well, stay really tuned are. for the next episode. Yeah, but I think you just you're a beacon it's about of light. You. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well anyway, okay. Right. Well, if you'd like to follow us, go to find. <laughs> I didn't even know how to summarise. No, I know. She always summarises. So, am I closing now? You're closing now. Yeah, now you've talked. Yeah, it's your turn to close. No, just let me finish oh, this. Oh, sorry. I do think you are one of the most courageous women I have ever met. You're the most. You're strong. You're beautiful. You are tenacious. You're encouraging. You're sensitive. You're incredibly beautiful, but I think you're, you're one of the most intelligent women mm-hmm. I've ever met. And I really, really, on behalf of us, the rock star and the tart, <laughs> well, let me just say that I don't think you're princess. I think you're queen. Oh, oh she's been elevated oh. to queen. <laughs> you're the queen of it. You I'm going to have to change that sign. That pink sign's going to have no, to go. I'm no. going to put the queen. She can fall off a pedestal at times. And oh, we'll put okay. her back down, right, princess. Right, 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 but, right. but you are the queen, the queen of, of the spoken word. You articulate yeah, it, and you I, teach I, it, yep. and you are you're the queen of you're the master. I've learned how to speak by different people throughout the world, and I've never learned the way I learned through you. My speaking went to a whole new level because of you. So I think mm. I think you're amazing. Mm. Oh, Touché. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Touché. Ditto. The whole lot. Yeah, what she said. Yeah, what she. Yeah, what she said. <laughs> Aw, you guys are gorgeous. <laughs> I don't even know where to look. 
I don't know what to, I don't even know what to do with my hands. <laughs> well, on that note, I will close our podcast because I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> what about if anyone's interested or knows someone that should be on the show? Okay, where can they contact so, you and what's all your Facebook pages and all of that sort yeah, of stuff? Yeah, okay, so if you want to contact me, um, go, um, well, you can go to the Facebook page, which is Karen's Couch, all the, face, all the W's, facebook.com forward slash Karen's Couch. Um, also, you can go straight to the website, which is all the W's dot Karen's Couch dot com and go to the contact us section. And there's lots of spaces on every page where you can contact us, so there's no way that you'll be able to miss it. And send a message through. It'll go through to me or to the producers. So, well, and we're always in touch with everybody, no matter what's going, no matter what's going on. I know everything. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I have ears on my back, and I have eyes in the back of my head. Um, I, I, we, we didn't cover that I was a perfectionist. Yeah, and a control freak. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did talk about that last week. Though. We did. Mm-hmm. I think that after seventy podcasts, they probably pretty Every, much. Yeah, yeah I think they figured that, that one out yeah. by now. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Not that goes without saying then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's where people can go: Facebook, or they can get me on Karen's couch for sure. Mm. And maybe any topics that they'd like covered and things like that on Karen. Absolutely. I'm doing lots of posts on Facebook right now to get um, topics that people want to have covered, their favourite books, uh, products that they want to have reviewed, uh, all that sort of stuff, definitely. So interested in getting all of that because it's kind of, that's the, that's the, that's the fuel that's going to, you know, drive the couch is to what our guests and our listeners want to hear. It's the amazeballs corner. Really? (laughs) Totes. Hmm. Totes. (laughs) Totes. <laughs> so maybe you've heard enough of me now. <laughs> so I will wind up this podcast. We would love to hear your feedback on me. <laughs> oh, that just doesn't sound right, does it? Oh, <laughs> oh, so, oh, oh. oh wait, hang just on. Go. At the beginning, we were talking quite a bit about depression and things like that there's always a clause that we need to oh uh, yes 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 if you or anybody that you know is suffering with depression or uh, they're in a place that they're finding hard to come out from um make sure that they go and visit lifeline i found lifeline through my hardest times was one of my greatest rescuers so lifeline google them get on the website you can find their contact details make sure that you get in touch with them they are amazing for the people who are suffering and also amazing for the people who are supporting the sufferers um so join us here um on our facebook page go to all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments and feedback you can also go to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and post your feedback on me so go ahead and do that <laughs> and join us here right on the same place, same station for our review on Kimmy the Tart next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Bye for now. Hi, Damien Christoph from The Wellness Guys here. It is on! The Wellness Summit returns to Melbourne in August. You asked for more and we listened. This year's Wellness Summit is not one, but two days of powerhouse wellness filled with your favourite wellness couch hosts, including The Wellness Guys and the Up For A Chat Girls and a very special guest. What's even more special is our crazy early bird two-for-one special offer. But... 
these seats are strictly limited to 150 seats and you must sign up to be a member of the couch by no later than midnight on Sunday, April 27, Eastern Australian Standard Time. Membership is free by signing up at www.thewellnesscouch.com. Don't miss out on half-price tickets to the summit. Register your name and email at www.thewellnesscouch.com and we'll see you in Melbourne to climb the Wellness Summit. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.